a pleasure to be here at Cornerstone. It's always a highlight of my calendar. Uh, I always look forward to it. Uh, after the many years I've been speaking here, I've got to have many friends and realize how wonderful a ministry that uh, Pastor Terry has here. Uh, he's been here uh, for many, many years and um, has endured and persevered and, and it, it, he is to be commended for the work that he has done. Well, one of the things I like about coming here is I get to update you about my life. And um, it's really like, I don't know, I think it was about maybe like 10 months ago I, I updated you, so many things have changed, many things have changed. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm rolling out my uh, summer wardrobe. Um, <laughs> this is the first time ever I have preached in yellow. Uh, it's not a color you would want to choose for you uh, novice preachers, um, but uh, if you're seasoned, you can try it and dare, okay? Now, so where did I get this? I got this at Old Navy Outlet in Milpitas. Now, you know Old Navy, their stuff is not, uh, it's, 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 it's not high-end, okay? Uh, and the outlet makes sure it's not high-end. But I got this, and it was begging to be bought. It was at a price that you had to buy. It would be a sin not to buy it. And uh, so I decided, well, what, you know, and this made me look like a hipster. I want to be a hipster, you know. All I need now is to roll back the hands of time, go back to 25 years old, and get down to 125 pounds. And you say, which one is harder to get down to 125 pounds is exceedingly harder than to roll back time. It's just, just it's impossible to lose weight. It's impossible to lose weight. I'm also preaching in my sketchers. Uh, it's the first two, if you notice. Uh, they, and people always ask, are they the shape-ups? No, 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 no. <laughs> that's, uh, I want to spell any rumor about that. Uh, that, that that's a fad. I, 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 these are the professional model for, uh, uh, for working class people. Uh, my health has been better. You know, I, I've, for years I've been sharing with my autoimmune disorder and some of you suffer with chronic uh, disorder. It's a sort of like lupus, pains come, I get like fogginess, and I might even preach it, I get foggy, I don't even know what I'm talking about. And so it, it's part of it, but I've been getting better. I'm about 95% and since last year, and stable, and I'm, like, it's, I'm, I'm feeling really good. But I have to watch myself, I just have to watch myself that I don't trigger. So I take a lot of vitamins, B, D, C, uh, E, you know, there's no F, we'll have F soon, you know, and uh, well, I'll be taking, I forgot to take it this morning. So I feel a little low, you know, but I'll take it. I'll take double dose when I get home. I'm also quit, and this is really hard. I quit drinking diet soda. Now that uh, as bartame, you don't know what that happen, what happens to you in the body. So I says, you know, what the heck? I'll I'll, I'll quit. Okay, it's been f a month now. You know, I might get a little jittery, you know, but uh, it's because of withdrawal from not drinking diet, my Diet Coke this morning, okay? But it's been pretty good, okay? Also, I've been, uh, since Christmas time, I've been brewing a drink called kombucha. Now, uh, San Francisco crowd, there's always a few people who know what that is. It's a sort of a secret society, kombucha society. <laughs> so what is kombucha? What is, what in the world is kombucha? Kombucha is, is, is a tea that's mixture of yeast and bacteria. And that alone makes it sound very yummy, okay? <laughs> it's a yeast bacteria tea drink that you brew yourself, okay? And I've been making it, uh, I've, I've brewed about 200 bottles already, uh, 250 bottles, I drink it. Uh, every day I drink it, okay? And it's been, it's really good. It's, it's basically a probiotic. It's a, probi it's, a, it's a yogurt in type of probiotic that you drink. So I've been feeling good, okay? With my wardrobe change and my increase in health and my dietary change, 
has also come some significant losses in the past uh, 10 months, the most significant. And it sounds very trivial, but it's anyone who, who's ever experienced it, you realize it's not trivial. My dog died. Oh, wow. You know, and the dog always like, oh, wow, you know, Sag is getting old, you know, can't jump on, you know, on the couch anymore, you know, things like that. And then when the dog passed away, you realize how you miss, you miss her or him, whether it was a female or male dog. And what made it doubly worse was that I took Satch on a Friday to the vet. She was having some, you know, like, her neck was kind of stiff, you know? A little, you know, it's kind of old, she's 13 and a half years old, you know? A little, you know, it's an old age, you know? She gets a medication like a muscle relaxant, and in 24 hours she dies. I oh, mean, I didn't, I had to teach, I didn't say goodbye to her. I brought her to vet, but my wife came, and I said, you know, and then the next thing I know, my wife texts me, and she, she passed away. They put her to sleep, and it's like, and you know why it was so painful is because you realize that how much you need and crave it un, a, a being that can offer you unconditional love. I'm not saying I don't love my children, and my children don't love me, but their love is different than Satch. Okay, I just want to tell you that. I don't want to tell you that, okay? Because when I see my daughters, their tails are not wagging but when I come in the door, and when I leave, they are not whimpering when I leave, and they are not satisfied for Christmas and the birthday with just a chew toy, okay? And a belly rub, okay? And fetch. You know, they don't, dogs don't need much, and they just give you this loyalty and love, and when you lose them, it's like, wow. You realize there's a common grace that we all need to have this unconditional love and a loyalty. Now, with that loss also comes a gain because uh, my oldest daughter had her second child, so I'm a grandfather, the second time. Her name is, my granddaughter is Annabelle, three months old, cutest thing, I don't have any pictures. Uh, it's all in my you know, phone and things like that, and, and the reason why I don't show them is because uh, uh, the, the Annabelle's so cute, you will feel bad that your children aren't as cute <laughs> as Annabelle. It's a grace, it's, 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 it's a matter of protection. Uh, of you people. You just feel jealous and you won't listen to the sermon and just because you know, people will walk out. I, it's just too cute. I can't feel the message. But he's just very cute. So the greatest thing is that she can sleep through the night. She can sleep six, seven hours straight as a three-month-old, which is, is impossible. You know, this is really very difficult. And she just smiles all the time. Wonderful, wonderful baby. Another thing I like about Cornerstone, not only I could update myself, is that by updating myself, I can inadvertently show you and reveal to you that Christianity and our faith in Jesus and our following of God has everything to do with everyday life. See, Christians aren't as mystical people, you know, that wearing in robes and, you know, we're in mountains praying all the time. We're people wearing yellow shirts and wearing sketchers and walking around the streets of San Francisco. We look like normal people in my sense, an abnormal person. But we're, we're, we're people that you meet. And there's nothing like there's an aura around. What makes us special is not how we look, but there's something that we have in terms of a world perspective of things that changes us. The value systems in this world are different. That's what makes us different. It's not that we look different. Something within us and how we see this world and who is our deliverer is different. Our confidence is different. I was very happy when uh, Pastor Terry told me that they were going to do a series on the book of James. 
and that I had um, uh, opportunity to choose the passage that I, I would want, okay? And I chose one of my favorite passages. It's a very obscure passage because it is one of the few passages that deals with life in the Bay Area in San Francisco. Not that San Francisco's in this passage, but the situation is there. The passage is in your program. It's in James chapter four, and I have verses 13 to 17 written, but I'm gonna start with just verse 13 and then stop and talk. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now this is a very weird passage. What makes it weird is when you study the New Testament and the words of Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, you will realize that much of his writings were directed to people who could not control their destiny. They were servants, they were slaves, they worked for people. It was not this free society where I don't like this job, I'll go someplace else. The time of Jesus was different. What you were born, you stayed doing it. So this passage is weird because it's talking about a situation where there's a degree of freedom. You can decide, you can move, you can go to a different city. And what makes this weird is what was very in the, much in the minority during the time of Jesus and Paul, it becomes common reality. It's reality for us in the Bay Area. For all of us have the ability to choose our destiny. So what was a minority passage becomes one that is a majority for all. Very applicable. I don't know how Jesus did that, you know, but he's very sneaky like that. He'll put things in the Bible that won't come to really fruition until 2,000 years later. And you say, wow, everyone fits into this. Because every one of us will have times where we have to make decisions about our job and our workplace and about other things that involve money because it, just, it costs a lot to live here, you see? And most of you will not have one job your entire lifetime. That might have occurred 40 years ago, you know? but it doesn't happen now. You're gonna have many jobs in your lifetime, and many of you will say, I don't, I don't like the job I'm in, or you're laid off and you need to look for a job. It's commonplace now that you're gonna have maybe a dozen, half a dozen different jobs in your lifetime. How does Christ come into that situation? Or is following Jesus just some spiritual thing? We pray, we worship, you know, we, we hear sermons, but it has nothing to do with everyday life and decisions. Christ has everything to do with everyday life and decisions, and it is a blessing to be able to share this text with you. Now, we're going to start with reading 13 again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. It's about planning. It is about planning to make money. Now, Without reading verse 14 and 15 and 16, let's try to figure out what James is going to say to correct the thinking of verse 13. Because there's a warning, there's a parameter that James wants to bring in. Come now, you to say. So you were expecting some heavy rebuke. What is the rebuke that James is gonna say in verse 14? Now, if you wanna read and sneak, you know, you could read, but I'm gonna tell you what sometimes we think James should say if he fits in our theology. Sometimes we'd say, oh, I know what James is gonna say. He's gonna say, come now, you who make a plan, because you know what? 
If you're in Jesus and you're really spiritual, you have no plans. You just sit and wait for God to reveal his plan, for it to come to you. Why are you trying to make money anyway? That's just greed. That's materialism. You just wait for God. You let God always open the door. You never move forward to open the door yourself. That's a cardinal rule of being spiritual, a man of God, a woman of God. Never proceed to open the door. You always wait for the elevator door to open. <laughs> and when the elevator doors, you would say, am I getting off 13? No. 14? No. Okay, door's open. God's will has opened the door for me. We think that that's how it works. And you, you meet people like that. You also meet people who'd say, no, no, no. I know what James is going to say in 14. First, he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll spend such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. I know. This is wrong because you know what? You're making the plan without seeking the plan of God first. What you need to do is to pray and fast. And when the Spirit of God reveals to you what the will of God is, then you should proceed. Don't you ever dare have your own plan. That's carnal. That's secular. You know, you're demonic. You're going to hell because you need to wait for the plan of God. You've got to pray. James is going to unload this great passage on prayer and fasting and seeing the will of God, and then that is the correction. Now, that, that's, what we, that's what we think. The thing is, what we think is hap going to happen will not happen. And that's the unusual thing about this passage. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now we go to the text. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, what has always troubled me is that verse 15. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. When I, when I meditate upon this, I said, James is not even, he's not rebuking the plan. He says, you can do this or that. This is actually, it's not the plan that is messed up. It's you're missing something that proceeds the plan. You see, oftentimes Christians have this understanding as we grow in Christ, we, we, the, the, the plan of God will be revealed for us every step of the way. And the key for the believer's life is to be able to discern the exact spatial geographic will of God so that you can proceed. Now, I am not opposed to God revealing things to me in dreams and visions and to see miracles. If there was a message on seeing the miraculous God, I hope I invited and I will give you stories that will make your head, you know, explode, you know, because there's some miraculous stories of, of what God's done in my life and in my, in my experience in ministry. But in my understanding of the miraculous God and of a God who does reveal to me, I do not abdicate the other truth that oftentimes God will utilize just the ability that he has given me to think out things and to proceed. It is not the plan that is wrong. It is when the plan is not connected with something else. When I was a pastor in um, 
the west side of San Francisco. I was only, uh, 19 years I was there as a pastor in, in Chicago for six years. So it makes it 25 years. I once met a, a, a gentleman who had been uh, laid off. And uh, this was a while ago. This is not the recent layoffs. This was about 15, 15 years ago, maybe even longer now. Um, he was married and had children. So, and, you know, he wasn't like independently wealthy and, you know, a, a trust fund and all this, you know, and, you know, you know, if you're in that, you know, just do what you want, you know, you, you don't worry about money. But he was married and had kids. So we had to be a little concerned about money. So one day I said, after about a year or so, I said to him, I said, oh, don't you think um, you should, um, you know, uh, 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 develop a resume and, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and basically I was saying, don't you think you should get a job? But I was saying, you know, like a real pastor away, you know, not, not, we don't, not pastors don't want to be too forceful, you know, we've got to do it a little sneaky, you know, a little, you know. And so, you know, you know, resume. And this is what he said to me. He says, I don't feel that the Lord is leading me to do this. I mean, it shocked me. Because he came from a theology where I do nothing unless the Lord leads. And when it comes to a job, I do nothing unless the Lord leads. I do nothing unless the... And I, and I said to myself, there, there's something wrong because um, does it say he still does not have a job and it's been 15 years? He does nothing. Because sometimes you could have a theology that, are, that appears so spiritual that is actually passive. And it's passive-aggressive. And you do not realize that sometimes God will reveal to you but other times, and more frequently, God will allow you to figure out what is best for you and for you to walk in and to take action to do what you need to do in life. And it's important that you understand that because too often we can over-spiritualize, even though I believe in miracles and I've seen the hand of God work. You must also realize that we are co-regents with God and he has given us authority and he has given us an ability to think. We are not robots to only do what God commands. You must understand we are stewards or investors or managers of God and not robots. Now, in correcting the spiritual, we must see exactly what Paul, I'm not Paul's, James's encouragement or correction is. And it's very unusual because we would think that after 13, Paul, uh, James would talk about, oh, you need to pray about it. You know, you shouldn't, you know, just wait upon the Lord. You know, I give a sermon about be still, know that I am God and, you know, all that type of stuff. But he doesn't say that. This is what James says. And it's very, very important as you make a decision, if you're going to change a job or move to a different city. Make the plan, do what you think is best for you. But now comes verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. It's talking about the future. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Now this is the first correction. And this is a major correction. But this correction is very odd. Because when I'm reading it, I want to know, James, just tell me what to do. Just tell me if I say yes or no. Just tell me how I find out. Give me the secret prayer so that I can find out what the will of God is. He's given me some philosophical thing about, oh, reflect upon the length of your life. 
No, no, no. I just want to know, is this job worth taking? I don't want to think about my life. James says, no. Jeff, you have to think about your life because you have to understand something very, very important about your life that is found throughout Scripture. There's a passage that will come up on the screen, Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. And it is a very, very important, 17, I should say, very, very important passage. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 is one of the most beautiful passages describing Christ and his triumph and his glory. In Colossians 1.17, it reads, He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He says, Jeff, do you understand it is not the plan, but do you understand that when you plan, you must have an overriding and overarching of who truly sustains your life? That it is Christ who sustains your life. Do you know what your day will be like tomorrow? You're just a vapor. Do you understand that Christ sustains you, that gives you life? You see, here's the problem. You make the plan. In one sense, there's nothing wrong with the plan. But there is a problem with the plan. When you think that your plan is like it and that that's your confidence, and when the plan doesn't go right, you get all upset. You get all upset at God because you think that all of your life's value is based on whether you meet your goals and you complete your bucket list. If you don't complete your bucket list, then something's a matter with my life. What James is saying, look, you need to do what you do. You're sick, you go to the doctor. My dog is sick, I take her to the vet. I just have to. I have autoimmune disease. I got to watch what I eat. I got to take vitamins. I just do. There's nothing wrong with vitamins. Vitamins are not my God. I get my vitamins from Costco. So surely they are not my God, and they are my God. They're very economical God. <laughs> I do not worship my vitamins. Jesus is my God. But I do what I do to watch what I eat. And if I need to do responsibility, I need to go. Nevertheless, I must realize that even in my action, in my reaction to life, beneath it all and around it all, I must realize that ultimately I am not the sustainer of my life even though I do the things to sustain my life, I am not the sustainer of my life. This does not abdicate your responsibility. You do what you need to do. Your confidence is not in yourself. And you realize that it is a gift of God to give us life and to give us the ability to think and the freedom to move and as a free person to take another job and to get a raise. But you must realize that that is not your life. If God so blesses you to be the next billionaire, to develop a Facebook-like, and you can't do Facebook, it's very contagion, <laughs> like app. God bless you, but realize that that is not your life. 
If you can figure that balance out, then you have taken another step into understanding the freedom you have in Christ, but also the humility that you have as you see yourself, that your life is not measured by the accumulation of your successes, but by the grace of God to sustain me. It's a very interesting thing because it's not an either or. It's the ability to live, but then there's something beyond ability to understand that what you do does not make you pompous and arrogant and you're not full of yourself. From verse 14, we now go to verse 15. For verse 14, it talks about how Christ sustains us. In verse 15, there's a slightly different correction. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, so it has the sustaining principle, and then the last phrase, and also do this or that, which is the action or the completion of the plan. This is very, very important. Because as you make your plan and you're like, I'm going to make a reservation, I'm going to go for an interview, I, I'm not happy with my job, I want to change job. You understand God is, over, uh, is, is, is sustaining your life. You also understand that ultimately what happens in your life, whether it occurs or whether it doesn't occur, is all within the program of God. Because God not only sustains your life, God also may have a greater plan for your life that, it's, that, 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 is not, that you don't even see. Not only does God may have a greater plan for your life that you don't see, God also has the ability, because he is God, to trump our plans, because he realizes that there's a greater plan and, not, and this plan is not good for us. And I tell you, none of us who make plans ever really fully understand the fullness of points two and three. Because when our plans don't work, our natural reaction is, what happened? Did I make the wrong mistake? Did I make the, the mistake? That's a double negative. Did I make a mistake? Did I not see the, the, the hand of God move? When really, that as we live our lives, it's like an interactive thing. You do what you need to do. Yeah, you understand that Christ sustains you, so you're not full of yourself. But then also, you have the flexibility to realize that, you know what? A lot of times I plan, it's never going to turn out the way that I think. And you don't get bent out of shape over it because Jesus Christ is overseeing your life. It's interactive and it is in real time. Faith is in real time. Most of the time life does not occur the way it's supposed to be. Sometimes it does and sometimes it's better. I have a, a friend who is pastors in the, in, 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 the, in the South Bay who shared a story with me. I'm very uh, good friends with, with the leadership there, and I preach there quite often. The one day the pastor was working out of the gym, you know, and a man came up to him and said, the Lord is leading me to give you a, ten, a, a strip mall for your church. And Tom was worth about $10 million. It's a whole strip mall, nice place. And, and, you know, I think it's on Winchester, big name street, you know. It's the, with the, that, that mystery, the Winchester, you know, that, that, that house is, you know, big street. You have tourists come by, you know. And, and 
10 million bucks, man. Got the whole, it's huge. It's only little strip malls, you know, where there's a, you know, it's a big strip mall. Now, as a pastor, I never got that. <laughs> when I was a pastor, we had to do our old-fashioned way, negotiate and buy. The way that God works in one way is not the same way he works in another way, and you, and, and, and you don't get bent out of shape with it because you can't compare. You must trust in whatever happens as you plan in a godly way. It's not, you're not doing immoral things. You know, you have to be blessed if you do immoral things. But it's not always going to happen the way that you think. And you must have a confidence in God beyond the plan to allow God to manipulate your life, to mold you. Manipulation sounds bad. Molding sounds better. To transform you sounds even better. But it's not in the way you think. And I think about my life and about the years of travel that I've had and my pastorate and my health. And I said to myself, if, if, if God revealed to me what my life would be when I was 21, getting on a plane to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary, so this is what your life is going to be, I would have gotten off the plane. Then I want that plan. I want that. I want plan B. Or I want that guy's plan. Then God would show me plan B, and I'd say, oh, plan A didn't look that bad. I, you know, give me give me plan A. It, it's, it's, it's one of these things. And it was learning to learn this. It's really a balance where you understand the miraculous work of God. You realize that that is not always going to happen. You realize that you take responsibility, and you do. And in that responsibility, you have this confidence that I'm not full of it. And you also have the ability to be flexible when it doesn't occur exactly the way you want it to. And you say, well, why, why should, it sounds weird, it sounds like God is a, an ogre, or someone who's just, you know, like just denying us what I want to do in life. You cannot see God that way. Some of people here are, 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 are visiting and, and just thinking about whether they want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, why should I follow God? You can't see God that way. Because the reason why you can't see God that way, whether you are interested in following Christ or whether you are a follower of Christ, the reason why you can't see God that way is because our God is not an ogre, and he is not someone who just has a rubber stamp that says deny. The reason why he is not that, and you cannot see him that, is because this, our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross in my place, he died for you. And that is worth quite a bit. Because unless you understand the extent of that grace, you will never see God correctly when he transforms us and when he molds us. I began this sermon with the story of my dog and how much I miss my dog because my dog exhibited common grace, or unconditional love, unconditional grace to me. But my dog didn't die for me. And I miss her terribly. What happens if there's an infinite being who not only dies, but die so that you can live. How 
how can you not trust what your life will be if he has done that for you? Because our God is not circumstance or God is not the plan. It is not the accumulation of our successes. We will plan, we will work, we will respond, and we will react. But through it all, we have a loving God who will mold and transform. We must always have in the back of our mind that confidence so we are not thrown for a loop or not paralyzed by inactivity. Allow me to pray for you. This is not the end of the sermon, uh, message because there's a offering and a final song, but allow me to pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for these, your people. I pray for people in th three different categories, for those who have a decision to make, but perhaps need to be proactive and uh, move forward because you have not revealed to us, but nevertheless, we are, need to do, take our responsibilities. For those people, allow them to make the, take the action. For others who are very active in life and plan to the T, allow us not to be overly pompous about how well we plan life, but always to put our plans within the humility under you, that you sustain us that you also have the ability to change the plan for your benefit and for our benefit. And finally, if there are those who do not at this time fully believe in you or follow you and just thinking, wondering why should I believe in this God and follow this Jesus? Well, because this Jesus, he is one in life who is going to change you and transform you into someone that you would never imagine yourself to be. And even though we may not understand exactly how it works, that is his pledge. And it's based upon an enduring love, not of a demanding God, but of a gracious God who has given it all for us. So he is worth the trust. In all things, we give you thanks and give you praise. And we give thanks for James chapter 4 and the wisdom that is found therein. We pray this in Jesus' name.